Logical Progression, Year 3, Chapter 9, Lesson 9. about our Amir, Shahzad Salim, Hafidahullah Ta'ala Wara'ahu. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala protect him and preserve him. Uh, it's amazing news, which uh, we should all be very happy about. In fact, MashaAllah, this, this is the benefit of being here in person. Yes, yes, you saw that, correct? Okay. And that is that you not only get yani, box of chocolates, but some serious box of chocolates. Yani, it's like lint creation dessert no celebrations at two nights yeah yeah no, no, exactly you know what i mean no as the offer celebrations or <laughs> just good buy one get one free heroes this is the real deal yeah mashallah so um obviously he bought this yani for me okay and um if i feel that the class has responded well to if the class supports this lesson finishing the chapter of Al-Ghusl before Isha, which is what time? Half nine. Half past nine. And that is not going to be easy, that's about ten pages, yeah? Then I will consider this to be some kind of reward. If we see us floundering, then the one who put the effort into it to make that class happen, i.e. myself, should then get what it is. And the occasion of this good news is, mashallah, uh, Shazad has been blessed to finally um, uh, realize that Florida chicken is rubbish and he has vowed never to buy it again and that Kansas is the only way forward for the rest of our lives. And the fact that he had a baby boy, mashallah, tabarakallah. But that's not very important to be honest, right? Let me, let me just rewind back a little bit. Achha. Who was it who asked me to go to that particular Because, we, because you, see, you see, so Shazad is saying... Who is it that asked him to go to can to uh, Florida to actually even purchase this uh, thingy? And the answer, of course, is myself because, as I said, I am known as the judge. Okay, and the reason they call me the judge is because a judge can never be biased to what he knows is the truth, even though he believes it's the truth. He has to give a fair chance to the claimant. So I said to Shazad, I said, "Listen, I'm not going to walk in there, right? I'm not going to do it like that." You were proudly with me. Did I, buy, did I buy it? Yeah, of course you. Yeah. So what, what, what was the point of you going and get it for then? Oh, maybe this is the second occasion. Okay. It's the second occasion. So, so I needed to make sure that it's a different times, different places, that it's bought in its right thing, so I don't rule in an unjust way. And so Shazad, he then went and purchased it. Anyway, I mean, it was a complete waste of money for all of us, to be honest. Because, you know, we were crying afterwards, thinking that I could have gone on a, a double-double. Uh, you know what double-double? Okay, a double-double is... It should be understood. A double-double is a double chicken patty, spicy, with double cheese. Alright? That's what double-double should be in this country. In Canada, when you say on a double-double, it refers to, and I know the Canadians are thinking, and I hope someone like, you know, one of the girls or boys tells me and corrects me, but it's uh, a particular drink in Timmy Hortons, which is their cafe kind of shop. And I think a double-double refers to a coffee with double cream and double milk or something. 
whatever. So I'm sure someone will, will tell me, and I want to know when they tell me. Okay, Bob's all right because I like to be accurate about my facts. Okay, a double, double. Righty ho, then, ladies and gentlemen. Today, inshallah, Sheikh Ashok. Ben Barakat Shazad. Nothing. Yes. One of my friends from Murder, I said, Why are you with me? I said, You think I'm childhood? <laughs> 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 what an attack, man. Honestly, you know, that's why we don't listen to Somalis, you see. <laughs> one of my friends did today, I was teaching them for the history. And I said, Have you have got breakfast? They said, Yes. Somebody said, Omelette, somebody said, uh, and what I said, we have the same chocolate for the breakfast. <laughs> Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. Come on, Sheikh. Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar, for the, for the benefit of all those people, when he was offered chocolate, instead of saying, Zakallah khair, he said, what do you think? Am I a child? <laughs> it was a horrible thing to say. Horrible thing to say. Haram Allah. Astaghfirullah. Anyway. Anyway, we're happy that you don't like the chocolate. That's more for us. Don't worry. Right then. I don't... Really, huh? Yeah, it's okay, man. Once you have a shot. When the dentist gives you the chocolate, what you got to be afraid about? No, when you eat a lot, you should visit. Okay, okay. Oh, he's my dentist. Yeah, yeah. I visit him regularly. Well, that's why I have no teeth left. Anyway, so uh, where are we then, folks? Where are we, ladies and gentlemen? I have different narrations saying that we are on 362, others said 365. And um, I don't know. I remember last week that we talked about the fact that yani, it is permissible for us to wet the entire body just once and that would be sufficient, right? And I think we talked about that. Um, and I guess in continuation of talking uh, about that, the hair is something which is very important to focus on uh, as well. Um, because regardless of the nature of the, the, the bath, uh, if you are uh, Sheikh Uthameen here, he says that the people of knowledge, he divided when, when one is washing themselves in the Qusl, they, they divided the um, washing of the hair into three kind of categories uh, when it comes to purification. The first is that which is required to um, uh, purify, meaning wash the external and internal in absolutely every single way, and that is the ghusl al-wajib, meaning the obligatory ghusl. So that would be the case for a male or um, anyone with short hair. We already said though for the female, it is not necessary for them to actually undo their braids and so on. We've already said that. And then the second type would be where it is obligatory to clean the outside of it. Um, if it is uh, and it's, it's outside and it's uh, 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 external and internal, meaning the scalp and the uh, ends, if it is light and just the external part, if it is thick and heavy and long, and that's in wudu, that's in wudu. And that's, for example, with the beard hair, yeah? So we know that you don't have to go through every single one, washing every single one. You go like this, and by doing that, you're effectively uh, 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 um, washing the external parts without washing the internal parts. We said anyone who has a thin beard, a thin beard, then it's like washing the face. Therefore, the whole thing needs to be washed properly if it's a thin beard. The third scenario is that where it is not obligatory to either wash the internal or the external um, uh, um, 
uh, if it is uh, th- uh, thin and just the uh, outside if it is thick and this is no sorry I beg your pardon I, beg your pardon. I completely read the wrong sentence that which is not obligatory to uh, uh, purify the um, inside or the outside um, if it is uh, uh, thick or thin and that is in Tiyamu that is in Tiyamu and we're going to cover that inshallah in the next uh, section anyway the, the evidence um, that it is sufficient just to wash yourself once okay where does that come from and the reason this question is being asked is because we know the Prophet in detail explained how to make ghusl and they, the uh, the uh, uh, Sahabiyat, when they, his wives, when they saw him, they described his ghusl, and never did they describe his, his ghusl as just washing himself once. So you have to ask yourself, where do the scholars then get the evidence that that uh, here is the Prophet ﷺ doing an act, and yet you are saying it's sufficient just to wash yourself just once? Do you understand? And so the answer to that is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the Quran. He says that we or in kuntum junuban If you are in a state of impurity in Janaba, then just purify yourselves. But he didn't say anything else other than that. However, when he told us about uh, one breaking wudu, he told us in detail what one needs to do for wudu. You see, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Remember, when you step back and you think about these issues, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't forget anything. Everything is there very, very accurately, and so you can't say, oh. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to summarize in this matter, but he went into tafsil in detail in the other matter. No, the detail shows in wudu that do this and wash your face and up to the hands and, and then wipe your head. and then That's because that's what's required in, as an obligatory nature for those acts. As for ghusl, then just do it and he's left it in its open uh, sense. And therefore, we are allowed to make sure that as long as the definition of ghusl is achieved, the actual word in its linguistic sense, then we are we are uh, okay. Um, the Sheikh also, uh, he says that um, it's important, it's important um, to know that there are some other evidences where the Prophet ﷺ has indicated uh, through his action that it is not obligatory. For example, the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein, a long hadith, radiallahu uh, ta'ala anhu, is narrated by Bukhari. A man came to him, um, and this man, he, ha- he was in a state of sexual impurity, and he had not prayed. And the Prophet ﷺ said, take this water, uh, and pour it over yourself. Take this water, and pour it over yourself. So he didn't go into a big detail telling him that you need to do this first, that first, this first, that first. Just said, pour it over yourself, meaning that you go and wash yourself with it. And Sheikh Uthameen says, it is not permissible for the Prophet ﷺ, not permissible for the Prophet ﷺ to not explain the details if there are further details at the time he's telling him to do something. It's like, go and do this, then you go, and then you come back, and then me telling you, you need to do it like this and like that. No. If he tells him, ﷺ, to go and wash, and there is a specific way, then he has to tell him there and then. That's why there's a consensus of the scholars that it is permissible to be able to do ghusl in any general manner if it comes down to it. When I mean, I'm talking the obligatory, meaning that you cover yourself in water, wash yourself in water. If someone says that this man, actually he knew, maybe someone said that, no, he already knew how to make ghusl. Yeah, that could be an argument, right? So you just told him, pour, yourself, pour this water over yourself, then you'll, you'll, you know, and he will know how to do that. Well, the first response would be, obviously he doesn't. 
because the reason the Prophet ﷺ, uh, called him out is because he didn't know that, you know, this is the hadith of Tiyammum. He didn't know that he could make Tiyammum and he didn't know how he had to make Ghusl. And so it's very clear. And secondly, the uh, Shaykh Uthameen says is that when it comes to questions, when it comes to questions, the asl is Adam al-ma'rifah. The basic principle in Islamic law is that one does not know. So whenever we have someone asking a question or being told to do something, then the basic principle in Sharia is that that person does not know. That's an important principle to know, by the way, in fiqh. Because when you're looking at evidences and people might always argue, but he knew how to do that, he knew, we'll say, actually, across the deen, generally, unless there's an evidence that someone does know, the, evidence, the, the, the basic principle is that he does not know. So therefore, and this is important, Sheikh Uthameen says, therefore, for me, it is permissible if someone was to dive into a pool or a, a something or, or immerse himself in water, that it would be sufficient upon two conditions. Two conditions, he says. He says, number one, that we've already mentioned, which is the... Niyyah, okay? To make the niyyah that this is a ghusl for X, Y, or Z. And the second thing for him is that the, the person must make al-madmada wal-istinshaq. Okay? So there has to be the uh, rinsing of the mouth and the rinsing of the nostrils. Okay? Because his idea is, is that it's possible that a person could literally, you know, and not open his mouth and go in and no water enters his mouth. And likewise, maybe he might even just hold his nostrils as well, isn't it? Yeah? Jump in hold his nostrils, close his mouth, and come back out. Sheikh Uthameen says, and this of course goes back to the issue about, is madmada, is the uh, mouth and the nose and the nostrils, is it from the face? Is it from what is facing us? That's what the issue when it comes to wudu. Is it obligatory to do so? You know, the ulama, as we mentioned before, they differed over whether it's obligatory or not to actually in wudu, to wash the, uh, clean the nostrils, to clean the mouth inside. Is it obligatory? Or not? We know the Prophet did it. We know that. But is it obligatory? And the argument always came back down to, uh, if it is obligatory, then the only way it can be is because Allah says, wash your faces. And that, فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ فَغْسِلُوا is a command. And because it's facing, then it must be obligatory. The other ulama, they said they can't be facing because it's inside. It's an internal organ. And that's why they differed over whether it's obligatory or not. Now when it comes to the issue of ghusl, it's not made, we're not making an analogy on wudu. We're now talking about another issue. Not about whether it's from the face or not, but whether it's from internal or not. You see? Because we're not obliged to wash our internals. Okay? Otherwise, we'd have to, you know, rinse our eyes out. We'd have to, I don't know, all the other kind of orifices. We'd have to get water all the way in. How far do you go? How, you know, you might have to then gargle and take it down to the throat. I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the natural stop? So, that is the argument. Is... Is the mouth at this level, internal or external? Is the nose, the nostrils, internal or external? So, Sheikh Uthameen, he says that the madmada and istinshaq must happen. Now, if you remember what I told you in wudu, in the chapter of wudu, that madmada and istinshaq has a mujzi' itself and an yani a sufficient level of action and an excellent level of action. So the excellent level would be, of course, to really snuff it up all the way to the very highest top part of the nostrils and then squirt it out, making sure the nose is very, very clean a number of times. And likewise in the mouth, you know, like your, like your dad does it, you know, in, you know, yeah, brush your teeth, brush, brush, brush. My dad, I take I have a half an hour doing mud mother, I've seen him, okay? MashaAllah. 
So, you know, there's that kind of level. So that would be the real hardcore one. But what's the sufficient one? You remember that I said, as long as the water enters the nostrils, and as long as the water enters the mouth and it moves. And naturally, if the water goes into the mouth, comes out, it has moved. That would be sufficient. So I just want to add that point, that according to Sheikh Uthameen, and therefore the class position, that for a person to make ghusl, there does need to be a rinsing of the mouth, and at least some water entering the nostrils, and preferably blown out. Obviously, if we're doing the sunnah kind of ghusl, and doing a proper full one, then naturally we will do, we'll do, we'll be obviously doing all these things, cleaning the nose and the, uh, uh, cleaning the nose and the mouth. The next point that, that should be mentioned as well is that is continuity obligatory? Is it, condi- is, it con- is it a condition? We know in wudu, continuity and order of actions are necessary, isn't it? You can't wash the hands before the face and so on and so forth. You've got to do it in order. Is that the same for ghusl or not? And that's where the ulama, again, they, they differed. Uh, according to the author, Imam uh, al-Hajjawi, it's not a condition. He's made it very clear it's not a condition. However, Sheikh Uthameen... He does consider it to be a condition, to, for there to be continuity, for there to be no breaks in between, that every action is in order. Now, because there are not very many actions there, so we don't need to really worry about that, now it's more a case of it being in order. So in order, what do we mean? We mean it's not permissible for someone to start washing his head and then you know, go out, outside and then answer the phone and see a guest and then come back and then continue in this kind of manner because you know, he's broken it all up. However... The ulama did say that if Miskin is there, you know, and he starts, and the water runs out, and he's there waiting, uh, and let's say that he's done certain part of his body, and only a little bit of water is going to come out further, yeah, and he, you know, he can maybe see the water, or he knows he's only got another little bit of water left, when it starts again, he does not have to use that water washing the parts that he's already washed, and he can continue, and this is like an excuse. This is an excuse because the water cut away and he didn't do it intentionally. I hope that part made sense. But if a person intentionally kind of walks out and comes back and all this kind of behavior, then that's not going to be uh, acceptable. Um, the next point is the statement, um, uh, I think it's next now, uh, Shaz. Uh, uh, we're down quite a bit here. So... Uh, so we've done that now. So it is sufficient, however, to make the intention to say Bismillah. We, uh, by the way, of course, that's the humble opinion. Remember, we talked about that last week. That's not according to the majority of Sunnah. And then wash the entire body just once. I mean, that's sufficient. Well, now, now we are talking about the um, uh, the Arabic of وَيَتَوَضَّعْ بِمُدِّنِ uh, I can't even read that, Ya Sheikh. وَيَغْتَصِلُ بِصَاعَ فَإِنْ أَسْبَغَ بِأَقَلْ أَوْ نَوَى بِغُسْلِهِ الْحَدَثَيْنِ أَجْزَأْ Okay, the English translation of this last section then is that one should make their wudu with a mud of water and make their ghusl with a sa'a. If one washes, these are measures of, of, of volume, I'll show you that soon. If one washes with less than these amounts, or one intends the lifting of both states of ritual and purity at the same time, then that will suffice him. That is sufficient. That's okay. A separate part now. It is a recommended sunnah for the person in Janaba, the sexually impure one, to wash his private parts and make wudu before he eats, goes to sleep, and repeats intercourse, repeats intercourse. Okay, so that's the three scenarios in which it is recommended to make the uh, wudu, okay? 
wudu, washing private parts and making wudu. We're going to now come to all of this um, in our discussion. First of all, the the muallif says that the person he makes wudu with a mud of water, mud of water. The mud, okay, is rubu sa'a. It is a quarter of a sa'a. So arba'atu andad. Four muds equals one sa'a. The mud, right, has been given modern day um, measurement and it's also been given classical measurement as well. In the earlier times of al-fuqaha, the scholars, they said that the mud is a middle, average sized hands in an average sized shape together. So this is your mud. Obviously my hands are larger, I guess, than the average size, maybe. And so... The, 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 it, it is important that you understand what I'm about to say. Number one, my hands are too big, so they need to be slightly big, slightly smaller. Number two, the shape of the hands is important. For example, if you open up your hands wider, there is potential to get more on, okay? And if you close your hands more, there is potential to get less in. So they always said medium size, average size hands with an average size opening, which is normal. So something like this. This is what our ulama used to show us. So it's not yani, uh, 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 too open and too not. In actual fact, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, who Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, of course, he is a resident of Medina. And there is a very important role for Medina in the discussion of al-Mud. Because Muhammad bin Hassan al-Shaybani, the, the companion of Imam Abu Hanifa and the great scholar, who then later on, of course, uh, uh, studied with so many of the other ulama as well. He, when he was in um, uh, Iraq and so on, studying with Abu Hanifa and studying with the other scholars, their mud was simple. They'd go by their hands and that was the end of it. However, when they came to Malik, Malik said that the people of Medina don't actually do that. In fact, Sheikh Lusami ibn Taymiyyah has an essay on this matter. And the scholars then they, uh, 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 Muhammad Hassan, he changed his opinion on exactly how much the mud is as a result of meeting Malik. And uh, the reason I mention this is that this is an important point of recognizing that in fiqh, it's not just hadith that are taken into account, but the actions of people, especially if those people are carrying a culture which is easily relatable back to the Prophet so this is something which Ibn Taymiyyah wrote an essay defending, and Imam Malik, of course, showed it. So here, actually, uh, Sheikh Al-Uthameen, he calls As-Sa'a Al-Urfi, he goes the cultural Sa'a and the Sa'a Nabawi. As-Sa'a Nabawi. So he said, he said, okay, so As-Sa'a is what? How much is As-Sa'a? Four mud, okay? And the mud is this much. And a mud, okay, if it was from Burr, um, wheat, okay. If we had good wheat, clean wheat, not yani a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the sh- not, uh, shell, shells, Stalk. uh, stalks, and husk. husk that's the word I was looking for husks. So the husks have been cleaned away, so you got good, clean wheat. So, good, clean wheat, if you were to measure it, then they said that that sa'a is 2,040 grams. So 2.04 kilos. Yeah, I need 2 kilos. Okay? 2 kilos is how you would transfer it. 2.04 kilos. Therefore, a mud of wheat is 510 grams. Half a kilo, basically. Half a kilo. Alright? And that reference is there in Sharh Hamdat al-Ahkam. 
uh, Sheikh Uthameen himself, he has given the notes to that book. Now, Umdat al-Ahkam, of course, is a book which is a collection of the main ahadith that are used in Islamic law. Okay, it's actually a book which is nothing but just hadith. And these hadith just cover the main uh, hadith of ahkam, the rules, the, uh, the hukam, the rulings of Islam. It's a very nice book for the students of law. has very little, has no kind of spiritual aspect, no aqidah aspect, purely a collection of hadith of ahkam. Uh, there was a maqra'a that we did of that with uh, Shaykh Haytham al-Haddad, I remember, in 2000 and maybe, I don't know, uh, 7, 8, 9 or something like that. It was very nice and enjoyable in London. So a good book and all students of knowledge should have those hadith done. Um, so that... Uh, is the rough size of it. So what we're talking when we're talking four sa'a, uh, uh, one sa'a, four amdad is two kilos. However, Sheikh Uthameen says that it's upon tahqiq, upon authentication, the mud of a nabi, uh, the sa'a of a, of a nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is thamanun riyal in Francian, wa sa'un al urfi, mi'at riyal wa arbu riyalat. So it, it is, it is taqriban 80% Eighty percent of the uh, uh, our one, a fifth smaller. Basically, that's exactly what he says. أَقَلُّ مِنْ صَاعِ الْعِرْفِ عِنْدَنَا بِالْخُمْسِ وَخُمْسِ الْخُمْسِ بِالْخُمْسِ وَالْخُمْسِ الْخُمْسِ which is basically تقريباً twenty-one percent or twenty-two percent, يعني twenty-two percent. So uh, it is. It is. How do you how do you express that? The sa'a of the Prophet ﷺ is four-fifths, four-fifths, I'm going to say it properly, four-fifths of our measured one. So that would be like one point, um, is this thing working? Is this spraying out thingy? Hmm. Bob, I'm going to murder you, bro. What? Because it's spraying out that nonsense. Uh, is, it, is it working? Actually spraying? Yeah. Bob, can you, huh? It just did, didn't it? I'm thinking, what's damage, that smell? Bro, no damage not done. Yeah, like, get rid of it, man. Gasme, <laughs> what is that? Oh my god. I thought I heard it the first time, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so Oh, that smell kills me, man. Right. Uh well, well, yeah. Sixteen hundred grams, yeah. So the one you could say that the, the mud the the, the sa'a of the Prophet was sixteen hundred grams. Okay, and this is just so that you guys get an idea of what we're talking about. Obviously, grams water is, is different. Anyway, the point is, is a lot of it's a little bit of water. It's a tiny amount of water, and that's a sunnah. And of course, this sunnah applies even if you have a lot of water. Okay, and a person if he was to do this, he'd get rewarded. Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti does something very interesting, and he brings a number of evidences to show that actually. Um, uh, is this some, a number that we have to stick to? What's the actual rule? Okay, so he shows that actually once the Prophet ﷺ, he did wudu with five amdad, five mud, five of these. Okay, so that's something as well. As well, do you guys want to know a little bit about yani, the measurements? Where is that? Is that fifty? Because you know there are a few other kind of measurements as well mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in terms of volume. That was interesting reading. I'll just, I, I, maybe I'll just quote them as opposed to explain them. Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, for example, the Al-Faraq. Okay. Al-Faraq. Al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in one hadith, the hadith narrated of, the hadith of Ka'b ibn Ujra, 
The Prophet ﷺ said, This is interesting. So a person, if he's making Hajj or Umrah, and he causes some kind of problem or harm, okay, to arrest surrounding areas or whatever, then there has to be an expiation. In expiation, the Prophet ﷺ said in the Bukhari Muslim, he said, So feed six masakeen a farak. Now that's a word in Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim. What is a farak? A farak is al-mud al-kabir. So what do we learn now? There are two types of mud. We have al-mud al-saghir, which is this. Okay? How many of these make a sa'ah? Four. We then have al-mud al-kabir, which is three sa'ah. Is that clear? So... In one mud al-kabir, how many muds are there? Twelve. Good. Okay? So, when you hear the word mud, it always means a small one. But when you hear al-faraq, which is the same word for al-mud al-kabir, then you know al-mud al-kabir is three sa'a, twelve small muds or normal muds. Is that clear, everybody? That's something which is interesting. Also, that, and I th- I, what I really liked about Sheikh uh, Muhammad Muhtar al-Shaqiti is that he also mentioned the Prophet sallallahu uh, is also narrated in Sahihain that Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha said أَنَّهُ اَخْتَصَلَ بِإِنَاءٍ قَدْرُ الْحِلَابِ that he washed and did ghusl from a container which was the, 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 the same amount as a hilab the hilab is the container that one would use to go to the camel when you milk it. And so you'd go there with a container big enough to always assume that you're going to get a good fill. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't go with the small ones, because it could be a lot. So you'd go with something, something slightly bigger, and therefore it would fill up, and so on. Now, what is the size of that? We do not know. We do not know how big it is, but it's basically a bucket. It's basically a bucket. So the fire of this is that we can see that there is some slight variation sometime from time with the Prophet's uh, use of uh, 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 fluid and measurement and so on. So I want you to know that it is permissible for you to use more than and less than. And that's what the next statement is there. If one washes with less than these amounts. Now this statement is there to basically say and put you at rest that if a person, he had, you know, maybe he was very small or something like that and he only had two, he might think, I have to wash myself with a sa'a, four of these. And the answer is no. As long as he fulfills the conditions, meaning he washes all his body entirely, all right, then that is something which is permissible. Now, I know you're thinking this is absolutely insane. Okay? How on earth is anyone going to wash themselves with this amount of water? In reality, there's two things that need to happen for, that to, for, for it to happen. Number one, you have to have very little body fat. Okay? It's body fat which kills it all. Okay? Right? And number two, you need to be on the smaller side. Okay? So if you're on the smaller side with very lean kind of body, then you will pour that water over your head and you will be able to make that flow. Two, three, four, definitely. Mud of that will flow over a body and wash it. Remember, as like I said, it's very unlikely there's going to be any salt being used in such a washing. Again, get it out of your head that when you hear ghusl, you're thinking shower. Get rid of that idea because if you keep having in your mind shower, then you can't get that issue of soap and shower gel and shampoo. You can't get it out and you're thinking, how can someone wash? No, I told you a million times and I'll tell you a million and one times. The ghusl is not to clean a dirty person. A person can be spanking clean 
and then he needs to make ghusl, and it's literally a ritual wash. It's the pouring of water over oneself. Yeah? It's like a spiritual moment. So keep that in mind, inshallah. So um, it's allowed to use less than and more than. Sheikh Uthameen is asked the question here. He says, in our time, no one uses the hands or a bucket or a container, but we use taps. We use a, uh, a faucet, yeah, a nozzle. So then what do we do? So Sheikh Uthameen, interest, interestingly, he says, لا تزيد على المشروع في غسل الأعضاء الأعضاء في الوضوء فلا تزيد على ثلاث ولا تزيد في الغسل على مرة على القول بعدم الثلاث وبحذا يحصل الاعتدال. Basically, he makes a very interesting statement. He goes because people are using taps and you can't just be going there, you know, doing this kind of thing, you know, turning on off on off thinking that's a mud or not. He says, don't worry about that too much. What you just need to know is that you don't go into the extreme in terms of the washing. So he goes for wudu. You know that it's three times to wash the arms, for example. So don't wash it ten times and seven times because the water's flowing. But rather use it and wash it three times as per normal. And he goes in ghusl. You know that you're only meant to wash yourself once. Okay, for the ghusl. So therefore allow it to stay on and then you can wash yourself completely, a complete washing. Then anything more than that would then be above and beyond. It would be wasting. So effectively and Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar as well he says something similar he goes it doesn't actually matter whether you use less or more than the sa'a the four amdad as long as you do not be extravagant so now hopefully he doesn't mention what extravagance is and that's really the question every single person is about showers vented systems unvented systems pressure pumps I want a long relaxing shower after a hard day blah 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 so what on earth is it going to be that's going to be like a standard? Anyone got some ideas to share? Anyone, any thoughts? How, how's it going to work? Yeah. Can I just ask, is wasting still applicable So the question is, uh, before we ask that, is even wastage something which is applicable in our time? And the reason that question has been asked, I assume, and I'll assume on your behalf, Zafar, is for two reasons. The first reason, of course, is that there's an absolute plentiful nature of water everywhere, available, immediate, and so on. And secondly, that water is purified and cleaned and returned for use again, isn't it? Yeah. So you have huge amounts and you have the fact that it will come back again and you will use it after it's been cleaned. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? Knowing that the Prophet ﷺ, he said that one is not to waste water even if he is by the river. The river is two things. Yes, the river is two things. Number one is definitely abundant water. Number two, is it the same as a renewable source? Does it come back again? It doesn't, re- doesn't come back in a recycled form, but it is a water cycle, which is yeah, I need the natural version of the sewage kind of, you know, retreatment, whatever. So... The answer is, is that yes, it does apply. And I think that if you think about it from a spiritual point of view, how a person feels when they're being like religious about something and you restrict some, something for the sake of following the sunnah, you can feel the difference between extravagance and not. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not necessarily the fact that you can get away wasting water, but you saying to yourself, you know what, this is a precious thing and I'm going to do it. I also will add... I also will add 
that it's not true in our time that you can, you know, the, the, the fact that water meters was, was so rapidly introduced by the government and the fact that the water uh, reservoirs do sometimes dry out, it's not true and we do need water and to be used to using less water is a good thing, won't be a bad thing. So there's no doubt that I will still recommend that we minimize the amount of water we use. Still ask the question, will it be israf if a person's having a real long hot shower? You know, normally it's not going to apply in a cold. It's going to be hot, isn't it? What do you think? It's, it's a case of you actually using it to some use. So if a person, for even, example, even has some kind of... You're having a long shower, you're using it to relax yourself or, you know, clean yourself. Right. Oh. So there's, there could be two scenarios. One person could be really, really dirty and therefore needs more and more and more. Maybe he's been working at certain things. So that's understandable. The second scenario is that if a person is genuinely getting a, a physiological medical benefit from being there, it's relaxing him and so on. This is a benefit. Can this be yani, uh, a use? I think if there's a defined medical benefit or there's a defined difference in mood, then I believe it is permissible. I believe it is permissible. I don't consider it to be uh, extravagance. I think there has to be a very specific mindset for extravagance. I think that people who would, for example... Um, I, I, look, there's a difference between the people who... Uh, uh, like, we all know, brushing your teeth and brushing your teeth and leaving the water open is ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. There's no medicinal, no X, no Y, nothing benefit whatsoever. And so you would turn that off. And leaving that on would be clear extravagance. Likewise, I guess, um, if you were in the shower, turned the water on, were about to go in, see that the soap's out, and so you now know that you've got to come out of the shower, into the thingy, look around for it, find it, get it, open up the pack, you know it's going to be a minute, whatever. You turn the water off. You wouldn't. So I think that's extravagance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, so next point is, and then he makes it, yes. Uh, uh, you mean like using a lot of water in the bath? Yeah, I think the same. I think the same. I think that if a person runs a bath and they soak in it because they want a deep cleanse or they want to do some treatment or whatever, you know, people, you know, do their baths for, generally I think they do it for relaxing and so on. I, I believe that's a bit permissible. I don't think there's any evidence to consider that to be a wasting of water as long as it's not being wasted, as long as it's not being wasted. Um, so the next point is if a person now, uh, um, one intends the lifting of both states of ritual impurity at the same time. Okay, so what's happening here? A person is in a state of sexual impurity. That's Hadith al-Asghar and Hadith al-Akbar. Okay? The two ritual states. Now, when a person goes in, okay, to the ghusl, uh, to make ghusl, does he have to specify accurately that I want to lift my state of, of large impurity and small impurity? And that's the discussion. That's the point at hand. Okay? So... The Sheikh uh, Imam al-Hajawi has made it very clear. The person, if he, uh, if one intends the lifting of both states of ritual impurity at the same time, with just one of ghusl, it will be done. Meaning, you don't have to then make a separate wudu afterwards. So you do the ghusl, you'd say, I want to be lifted of both states. The first state that requires a ghusl, the second state which requires a wudu. But now I'm going to do the ghusl. And would that be sufficient? Answer is yes, according to the Hanbali school. The alternative would be what? That you would have to do the ghusl and then follow it up with a separate wudu. That's for hadith al-akbar, that's for hadith al-asghar. That's the question at hand. Now, Shaykh Uthameen says that for the niyyah there's going to be four 
possible scenarios. Aniyah is going to have four possible scenarios. The first one is the one which is mentioned in the question. That the person will lift, he will say, I lift both states. I want to be, I, I want to be able to pray. Now listen, actually that's, that's cheating, that's, that's, that's coming up later. Let's just say that he says, I want to lift my major state and my minor state. With this ghusl, with this one ghusl. If he does that, it will be lifted, both of them. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that a person will get that which he intended. Indeed, all actions are by intention. And this is the position of the Hanbalis, and Shaykh Uthameen is happy with this position. The second scenario that the niyyah could take is that the person only says, I want to lift my state of major impurity. So in his mind, he's not thinking about the small one. He's not thinking about wudu. He's thinking, I just want to get rid of my janaba. I want to get rid of my impure uh, you know, uh, state of marital relations or whatever, sexual impurity. And he doesn't, he doesn't mention or even think about the small one. According to the statement of the Hanbalis and the Hanbali school, it will not lift the state of the small. Because, it will not lift the state of the small one because he's made it clear that unless you make intention for both of them, then it won't lift. Right? So if you only lift one, then you won't lift the small. Meaning that if you only if you went into the, the, the bath saying, I only want to raise, I, I want to lift my state of major impurity. If you did that, then after the bath, you'd have to make a wudu to pray. That's the point here. According to the Hanbalis, no, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable because they said, in every action is by intention and you never made the intention to lift the small state. That's the Hanbali position. Shaykh Al-Zahar ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, no, both of them will be lifted at the same time. If you make the intention for just the lifting of the big one, both states are lifted. And the reason for that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Ma'idah verse 6, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا Allah said, if you are sexually impure, then just purify yourselves. And... فَإِذَا تَطَحَّرَ بِنِيَّةِ الْحَدَثِ الْأَكْبَرِ فَإِنَّهُ يُجْزِئُهُ لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَذْكُرْ شَيْئًا سِوَى ذَلِكَ وَهَذَا هُوَ الصَّحِيحِ If therefore, following the ayah, you're only going to make the intention for purification, which is purification from al-hadith al-akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never mentioned anything else about any other small or big or wudu or this. Therefore, that is the correct position and Shaykh Uthameen agrees. So in that second scenario, if a person just walks into the shower and he says, I want to lift my state of janaba, the reason he went in, or I want to lift my state of menstruation. Okay? And that's all they think of. They didn't say, and I want to get myself ready for salah, which is a separate action. It requires wudu, okay, uh, salah. As for this, to lift off the hayab, we need to make washing. If you just said hayab, you will get the ability to make all the actions of normal salah as well. You'll have wudu. That's the point, okay? And, with the, uh, and the same with sexual impurity. The third one, the third scenario that aniyah could be in is that This is getting technical now. A person, he makes aniyah for an action which cannot be done except with wudu. So he makes an I want to make ghusl for something. And that something is an act which someone has to have wudu for. But it might necessarily have any connection with ghusl. Who can think of an example? Who can think of an example? Dua. Huh? 
Tawaf, Tawaf is controversial. We already talked about the purification of that, so forget that one. So is he, is he thinking about lifting just the minor purity? No, just something which is... Reading Quran, touching himself. Yep, we're reading Quran, for example. Okay. Or, um, so for example, Sheikh says here, so basically he said that if a person was to therefore make wudu, uh, sorry, he's about to walk in to make ghusl and he makes the intention for salah. I want to make ghusl for salah. Okay? Now he makes ghusl for salah. Salah itself is an act which cannot occur without wudu. Yes? By making an uh, uh, intention for an act which cannot occur without wudu, Shaykh Uthameen says actually both states are automatically lifted. Both the Hadith al-Asghar and Hadith al-Akbar. Just by intending the actual act itself. If you remember back in year one or at the beginning of year two, we talked about this when you intend a certain act in its entirety. All right, And it not, doesn't require you to be technical in terms of exactly what you are. Uh, 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 intending actually in terms of I need to make a ghusl to lift X state Y state I can say I want to make ghusl so I can pray well if you're if you're going to want to pray that means you need to have wudu if you want to have wudu it means you have to have ghusl meaning that by your by your statement you necessitate that you will lift both states the final the final scenario is a more interesting one when you intend to a act which cannot be possible except without ghusl this is more controversial. So what could be the example here? Pray. No. Pray. No. Jum'ah. It's not possible to pray Jum'ah or Salah without wudu. We are intending أن ينوي استباحة ما يباح بالغسل فقط. Sorry? Um, could be. That could be. That's a bit, that's a bit, that's a bit tricky. Yep. Perfect example is reciting Quran. Reciting Quran doesn't require wudu, but it requires you to be free of janaba. You need to be free of al hadith al akbar. Yes? So if you want to, or al muqthi fil masjid, for example, to remain in a masjid, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So do you have a person who is there, he's in a bath, and he's making intention. He's not making intention the proper way, which is to lift the state of this, lift the state of that. He said, you know what? I want to be able to go and stay in the masjid. I want to go and read Quran. So these are acts that actually do not require wudu. Do you understand the problem now? So the question is that if he does that, what is his resulting state? What is, what is his resulting? Yeah, and he comes out, what can he do? Does that make sense? So after he's made this ghusl, with this intention, he comes out, what can he actually do? Here's what Sheikh Uthameen says. He says, فَلَوْ اِخْتَسَلَ لِقْرَاءَةُ الْقُرْآنِ فَقَطْ وَلَمْ يَنْوِي رَفْعَ الْحَدَثِ أَوْ الْحَدَثَيْنِ فَيَرْتَفِعُ حَدَثُ الْأَكْبَرِ فَقَطْ فَإِنْ أَرَادَ الصَّلَاةِ أَوْ مَصْرِ الْمُسْحَفِ فَلَا بُدْ مِنَ الْوُضُوءِ فَلَا بُدْ مِنَ الْوُضُوءِ This is fascinating. He says that if a person, therefore, he is now in a state of janaba, okay? He walks into the shower. He says, I want to make wudu, so I want, I want to make ghusl, so I can stay in the masjid, or I can recite the Quran. If that's all he made intention for, that's the only thing that he can do when he comes out, even after he's made the ghusl. If he wants to pray, what does he have to do? He has to make wudu. He actually has to add wudu. Okay? 
So this is Sheikh Uthameen. This is him explaining. Okay. He said, if he wants now to make to to to, to if he wants to pray, then he needs to add a falabud min al He has to now add wudu because this guy was so specific in his ghusl that he cut himself off from all of the other actions of ibadah, and he said, this is what I want. But Sheikh Uthameen continues, and this is interesting. He goes, ولكن واقع الناس اليوم نجد أن أكثرهم يقتصدون من الجناب من أجل رفع الحدث الأكبر أو الصلاة وعلى هذا فيرتفع الحدثان. He goes, frankly, frankly. He goes, and I'm sticking to that. Sheikh Uthameen goes, I'm sticking to that. He's basically saying, let me, let, let me speak on his behalf with a much yani, lower level of respect. He's basically saying, if you're not thick yani, to make such an intention, okay, then you deserve to go out there and make another wudu. Yeah, he's not saying that, but I'll say it for him. Okay? Someone's going to make such a random niyyah, I'm going to make a ghusl only to go and read Quran, okay? then that's all you're allowed to do. So basically what Shaykh Uthameen in the end, he says, look, look, he goes, look. For Waqar and Nas, he goes, the reality of people is that when they go into the shower, they say, I want to get rid of what I'm here for, isn't it? So if you're menstruating, you get in to say, I want to get rid of menstruation, or I want to get rid of so-and-so. This is the second position. Do you understand? Out of the four niyyah, it's the second position. Can you see it? What's the second position? The intend- intending of the lifting of the state of? Al-Hadith Al-Akbar, the major one, which would be the Janaba, which would be the, the Hayab, and therefore you'd be allowed to then do everything that one requires to do. And that's the that's one. No, no need to make any extra wudu. No, I need to extra wudu. Okay, and then to finish off the final part, it's yes, yes. So it doesn't matter that the Ghusl Al Kamil contains wudu, that's considered a part of the. Correct, it doesn't matter that the Ghusl Al Kamil contains the wudu. This is the, uh, that's, that's considered a Ghusl. That's a Sunnah way of Al Ghusl, not separate, not uh, and separate to a separate wudu. Okay? Now, um, and the final part then, it is a recommended Sunnah for the sexually impure to want to wash his private parts and make wudu. Uh, before they eat, go to sleep, and they repeat the intercourse. This is very interesting, okay? And for this, I want you to know that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala, um, Sheikh Uthameen says that the, to make wudu to eat for the one who is in Janaba is not obligatory by consensus, but rather it is recommended. The evidence for that is number one, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, he said, she said, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana idha arada an yakul aw yanam fa wa huwa junub tawadda'a wudu as-salaa. That whenever the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would eat or sleep, wanted to eat or wanted to sleep when he was in janaba, he would make wudu, the wudu of the prayer. Tawadda'a this hadith is being narrated by Imam Muslim. The important lesson here, there are some scholars that said that this means washing your hands and washing your face. Okay? And there are a number of statements of the scholars. For example, uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, she, would, she said that the Prophet uh, that uh, uh, she said, she said to a person who was in a state of junub and he wanted to go to sleep, she told him, let him make wudu or make tayammum. That's narrated by Ibn Abi Shayba. It is Sahih. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu. He said that if someone who wants to eat or drink or go to sleep, let them make wudu if they're in a state of janaba. So you're in a state of janaba, you want to eat, you want to drink, you want to drink, you want to sleep, let them make wudu first. And Aisha also 
said the same thing again in another hadith he said this is something very interesting. She said that if he wants to go to sleep and they are junub, then let him make wudu because he doesn't know what will happen to him when he is sleeping. Now, that could mean anything. It could be, for example, the, the need for the angels to come. It could be the need of Allah Ta'ala Alam, what that means. But it means that a person should be in as pure a state as possible. If you can make the ghusl, then that's great. If you can't, then at least make wudu. Now you might say, why is it not obligatory? Because these hadith are very, very, yani, then let him make wudu. Let him do this. Well, the Prophet in hadith of Ammar ibn uh, uh, Yasir, he said that the Prophet said, the Prophet ﷺ gave a concession to a man. If he wants to eat or to drink or to go to sleep, that he should make the wudu. This man, of course, was in a state of janaba. Now this hadith, my brothers and sisters, I want to just quickly mention something about it. This hadith has been criticized by uh, a number of scholars. A number of scholars consider this hadith to be weak. Okay, um, And you will see that in the uh, footnotes at the bottom. You will see that in the footnotes at the bottom. Um, Abu Dawood and Imam Adar Qutni, uh, they consider this hadith to be munqati', meaning broken in his chain. Imam At-Tirmidhi said it is sahih, and so did Imam An-Nawawi. Okay? Um, so, I just want to say that it is something which is a sunnah act for you to do. Likewise, then, the issue of sleeping, the Prophet there is a hadith, uh, hadith of Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he said, Ya Rasulullah, Ayarqud ahaduna wahu junub? Qala na'am. Ida tawadda ahadukum falyarqud wahu junub. And another narration, Tawadda waghsil dhakarak summa nam. Umar said, um, if one of us is in a state of janaba, uh, can we go to sleep? The Prophet said, yes, as long as he makes wudu. Either, as a condition, as long as he makes wudu. And uh, then he can go to sleep. In another narration, make wudu, wash your private parts, then go to sleep. And therefore, there are a number of scholars, the Zahiri Madhab, the literalist school, they consider it to be obligatory, the Zahiriya. And a number of the people of knowledge, they consider it to be obligatory. However, and this is very interesting, all four of the Madhab, they consider it to be a Sunnah act, not an obligatory act. Now, this is a big controversy, actually, in fiqh, because the wording of this hadith is very blunt. If uh, 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 you want to go to sleep, you must make wudu. It's very clear, all right? And so the, other, so the scholars are basically saying, how on earth do we respond to that? Yet it seems that the majority of the, the fuqaha, they consider this hadith to be one which is indicating recommendation, not any obligation. Uh, hadith which is recommend, uh, uh, recommendation and not obligation. Why? Because the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, that the Prophet sallallahu anha, Nabiya sallallahu what would he do? Kan yanamu wa huwa junubun min an That he would, he would uh, uh, go to sleep whilst he was in a state of impurity without touching water. Without touching water. This hadith we're going to uh, uh, discuss in a second, inshallah. Look at the footnotes and you can see the discussion starting.
This hadith, Bismillah, this hadith has narrated, been narrated by Imam Ahmed and Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah, and it was considered weak by Imam Ahmed and Imam Muslim and Imam Yazid ibn Harun and Imam Abu Dawood and Imam Tirmidhi and Imam Al Nawawi and for another a number of uh, a number of ulama. And it was only authenticated by a few, by Imam Al-Tahawi and Al-Hakim and Al-Bayhaqi. Ibn Rajab actually was very, very critical of the people who authenticated this hadith. Very critical. However, we can say that this hadith still is a matter of difference of opinion. I'll tell you something which is interesting. If this hadith is sahih, then it brings up an interesting discussion. The statement of the Prophet ﷺ and the action of the Prophet ﷺ. In his statement, he said to Umar, you must make wudu before you go to sleep. In his action, Aisha radiallahu anha said that we saw and he did not touch water. Okay? So there is a contradiction between the statement and the action. Now, is it a contradiction? That's the question. Al-ulama al-sunnah, what did we say before? We said that before contradiction, we will, we will try many things before we say that it's a contradiction. First of all, can we, can we make the hadith weak? Some made the hadith weak. No contradiction. Obligatory to now make wudu before you go to sleep. Other people said, hadith is sahih, and touch water means ghusl, not wudu. The third scenario is the easiest one, that the statement and the action are both to be taken, and the fact that he didn't do it, shows that it's not an obligation to make the wudu. And that makes it, bring it down to istihbab. Does that make sense? Yeah? That if a statement is made, and then an action then goes against it, then it means that the first one can't be an obligation. That's the position of the four imams, it's the class position as well. But what it brings up is an important rule, and this is what Imam al-Shawkani, and that's, that's, that's relevant because Imam al-Shawkani, of course, is a Zaydi, all right? 
He comes from the Zaydi school, and of course, at the moment, the war in Yemen that you're seeing is against the Zaydi Shia. Uh, the Houthis yani, are in principle from them, but they're a more kind of politicized kind of Shia as opposed to the original Zaydiya. It's important to know these facts because um, the Zaydiya are very close to Ahl Sunnah, and their ulama are the ulama of Ahl Sunnah as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to know that actually the Shia of, of Iran, of, of, of Yemen, have been living peacefully there for a long, long, long time. There's been no very, very little issues there. It's Iran that has really, really opened up this split and introduced the much more extreme Ithna Ashari Shia creed to this uh, conflict. And it's turned it into the serious one before. Otherwise, Syria they never had any problem or the surrounding areas from the Zaydiya. But now, of course, Yemeni uh, dictatorships and tyranny back in the day, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, which is against everyone, frankly, and then, of course, Iranian interests have turned this into a very serious issue. Um, Imam Shokani, of course, he makes a point. He used to have this belief that, you know, the Prophet's actions are for, his, are for himself and statements are for the people, which is a very dangerous piece of usul. Okay? That when you, the Prophet, when he speaks, he speaks for the people, and when he does actions, it's for himself. And Shaykh Uthameen spends three pages here refuting this position. And he basically says, no, both statement and action are for us. And basically, I just want to summarize his argument. He wants to say that it is possible that his action is for him alone. But when it happens, we will be told about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it very, very clear in the Quran. And I want you for your own kind of study, uh, look up uh, Surah Al-Ahzab verse 37 and Surah Al-Ahzab verse 50. Okay, uh, um, Both of these verses make it very clear that the Prophet ﷺ is given a concession. For example, in verse uh, 50, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, if, and a believing woman, if she offers herself to the Prophet, and the Prophet ﷺ wants to marry her, then that's allowed. A privilege for you only, and not the rest of the believers. This is something for you, O Prophet, not for the rest of the believers. Can you see how specific that is? What does that mean, by the way? It means that if a woman came to the Prophet and said, I want to marry you, uh, 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 then it's allowed for the, I gift myself to you, hibah, a gift, then the Prophet does not have to pay a dowry, does not have to have a wali. It's like a gifting. Whereas a normal marriage, for us, it has to have a dowry. It's not possible to get married without a dowry. There has to be a dowry. Even if it's something small, mahar I'm talking about, there has to be one. But for the Prophet ﷺ, it was allowed for a woman to offer herself to him and he could get married to her. That is something. Another scenario, of course, it's Zayd ibn Thabit. Zayd ibn Haritha. Zayd ibn Haritha, of course, he, was, he وسلم, was not allowed to marry Zainab, his previous wife. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that I am allowing you to do this. This is something which needs to happen. Go ahead. And it will also help all the rest of the believers. Those believers in the scenario, if it comes to them, where they are in a situation where their adopted sons have ex-wives, you can get married to them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very clear in the Quran when he wants to make it clear that something's for the Prophet and when something was for the Prophet and then for the rest of the people. So there is no basis whatsoever to say that if the Prophet does an action, it's for him alone. No. His action is to be followed and his statement is to be followed. So I hope that that point makes sense. Um, and finally, and this is then the last page, if a person then also wants to return for intercourse, repeating intercourse, that again, it is a sunnah to do so. The Prophet وسلم, in Sahih Muslim, um, in Sahih Muslim, it is narrated that whoever, 
has these marital relations or wishes to return, then let him make wudu in between. This is narrated by Sahih Muslim. And some said that there are some medical benefits to that, but it doesn't matter actually if we know that there are medical benefits or not. This is something which is an act of ibadah. We have the intention to do it and it will be rewarded for and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. With that, my brothers and sisters, that's the end of the chapter of Al-Ghusl. So that's good, alhamdulillah, which means that next week we can then get into Tayammum and then we talk about yani, the removal of Najasa. I've got a plan, actually. I, uh, I have a plan. I'm thinking that I'm starting to, maybe we can start thinking about this online, that over the summer holidays in the break, we will do a full day to finish off all of purification. So we'll continue now and then maybe Al-Hayyad, menstruation, which is a big book, I think we'll do as a day course online, which for, for all people at LP. I'm thinking about that. Send your feedback in via the, uh, by the uh, portal. And I will answer some questions on the portal later because we now need to go for Salatul Isha. Jazakumullahu khaira. Wa subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Shadu Allah ilayna. Wa astaghfirullahu wa atubu al-wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahu wa barakatuh.